sticks, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government, hug the government, love the government, hug the government, love the government. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Trey Orndorff, a political scientist at Oklahoma Christian University. And I am joined again by the professor of law at Chase Law School, Ken Katken, for this episode on the U.S. Constitution, Article 6. Ken, welcome to our Constitution show. Oh, it's great to be back. Yeah, this has been, I think, one of the most fun things that we have done. <laughs> it's <Yes>. been <laughs> going through uh, the areas, you know, there's been areas where I've felt a little bit better. There's been a lot of areas where you have been just so insightful. It's been so useful. <laughs> uh, I, I mean that, honest, too. So that's not a joke. Uh, and so, that, you know, and, and what's kind of weird is to think. It was about this time uh, last year that we, we were thinking about starting this. It got a little bit delayed because of me. Uh, and, and so then we really didn't get started until the beginning of the year. And now here, as we approach, uh, uh, you know, coming in now to September, we're, we're approaching the end of the Constitution because, of course, there's only seven articles to the U.S. Constitution. And, and this week we're going to take on uh, Article 6, or at least as much as Article 6 as, as we can get through. Uh, and so if you've been here with us before, you know kind of the pattern that this takes. We read through that portion of the Constitution, and then we talk about the elements, the court cases, the history of it, uh, to try to give you an idea of what's happening in that particular article or section. Or in some cases, you know, we had to spend some time on some uh, particular phrases in Article 1, Section 8, uh, you know, with the powers. It took us a while to get through some of those areas. So I'm going to start us off by reading. Uh, uh, article 6. So this is the United States Constitution, Article 6, and it says the following. All debts contracted and engagements entered into before the adoption of this Constitution shall be as valid against the United States under this Constitution as under the Confederation. This Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land. And the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary notwithstanding. The senators and representatives before mentioned, and the members of the several state legislatures, and all executive and judicial officers, both of the United States and of the se uh, several states, shall be bound by oath of aff affirmation to support this Constitution. But no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. So you've, you've got three major areas there, Ken, uh, and, and one that we probably today kind of quickly look over is this whole like all the debts contracted and the engagements entered into uh, before the adoption of this constitution. You know, that seems kind of small potatoes. You know, it's been a long time since we've been under the Confederation. But of course, that was that was a big deal at the time, right? Is this constitution going to be binding on what came before it? Uh, that's actually a pretty big argument uh, uh, between a number of the framers and between even the individuals who don't get included in the idea of the the uh, uh, the framers. Yeah, I mean, actually, both um, Clause 1 about debt and Clause 2, the part about treaties, um, both address the question of whether uh, uh, the new government created by this constitution is um, in continuity with the prior government under the Articles of Confederation, um, or whether it's just a, a brand new government, and so nothing that the old government did is still in effect. And uh, in both cases, we get the same answer. Um, 
that although we have a new constitution, it's the same government. So um, the debts that were uh, entered into under the old constitution still have to be honored. And the treaties that were made with other countries under the authority of the old constitution um, also still have to be honored. Yeah. And one of the things to keep in mind is, is this was a sticking point in part because a lot of the individuals during the Revolutionary War, and this is what led to a lot of issues under the later era of the Articles of Confederation, right? They had been paid uh, with paper that was effectively not worth what it, that, that what had been printed, its face value. And so a lot of that had been, had been sold to speculators. And as a result, speculators uh, stood, if this constitution worked out, to make a lot of money. And so weirdly today, this was a particularly contentious issue as it related to kind of the, you know, um, it, wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of what we think of as being populism back then, but that kind of nascent populism saying, well, wait a second, don't, don't, what, shouldn't we be able to kind of redo those issues we've made? Do we really want speculators owning pieces of the United States, you know, this new constitution? Yeah, you know, I, I had never focused that so much on that aspect of it, but I'm sure you're you're right about that. The I I feel like generally, um, the you know, because of the way the Constitution was ratified, you know, illegally, really, you know, you yeah, had the, right. uh, the under the, its own you know, unratified. Uh, <laughs> yeah, under we're going to get to that next time in Article Seven. Yeah, yeah. So 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 here we have a government. It's created under a document called the Articles of Confederation. Um, the, the Articles of Confederation creates the Continental Congress. Congress, which is then existing and sitting and passing laws. And the Article of Confederation says um, the only way that this this um, constitution can be uh, amended is by um, unanimous uh, agreement of, of, of the states. And um, our constitution sought to replace that document without following its own process for amending. And our constitution, as you just said, before it was ratified, it included in it its own process for ratification. And that didn't require unanimity of the states. It says it can go into effect uh, amongst the states that ratify it, if three quarters of the states ratify it, and uh, um, and generally followed um, ratification conventions rather than um, uh, adoption by the state legislatures. Which and was so the process under this- the Articles of Confederation. Yeah. So here we're getting this new constitution that is uh, illegally replacing the old constitution. And I think that did just create all these big questions about, well, then what does that mean about the old constitution? Like, is that is that a government that's just being abolished? Is that a government that, you know, existed but is now dead? Um, or is this just the same country getting a new a new constitution, but it's really the same government? And I do believe that, uh, to me, the main thrust of um, Section 1 and Section 2, talking about debts and treaties, was primarily to establish the, the continuity uh, of the governments. But I, I absolutely take your point that there probably was great uh, financial interest based on uh, land speculators. Back later, you know, if you're if anybody's curious about this, this is one of the things that gets leveled against Alexander Hamilton. That you know that he's kind of working behind the scenes to make sure that the moneyed interest are going to you know they're going to come out on top no matter what. Uh, uh, and so uh, that's not as big a portion of say as much as I absolutely adore Hamilton the musical. <laughs> Don't get me wrong; I mean, that's gonna be stuck in my head forever if we sing any of. So we can't do that. But <laughs> you know, some of those uh, the, those particular issues, and I love going through that a little bit with students sometimes. And 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 your point is so well taken about, and we'll we'll have to talk more about that when we get to Article Seven and the illegal nature of our Constitution. It always throws my students for a loop when they have to think about that. And they're like, what? Uh, And so, you know, we'll we'll have to come to there as well. 
But and you're right. I, I, but I think your your overall point about the thrust here, although it has a lot of downstream effects in the moment, is yeah. about saying, hey, yes, this is effectively the same thing in a new trapping that came before, i.e. we're not having a revolution. And I think there's probably a bit of commentary there, too, in the sense that, right, the individuals who are in Philadelphia for this, they're trying to distinguish themselves from kind of the, the revolutionary activity of the Daniel Shays of the world as being a bad thing, even though in some ways they're kind of doing the legal version of it, right? And, oh, yeah. and I think this gets at that saying, yeah, we're going to do that, but I think it's kind of a big but in that way. Right. Well. Now, as we move forward in time, of course, those issues begin to kind of, I don't want to say they go away all at once, but the, the, the portion of Article 6 that's probably one of the most important is what today is called the supremacy clause of Article 6. As a matter of fact, a lot of times if you look at the Constitution in your little pocket version and they give little titles to the, area, uh, to the era, you often see Article 6 coming up as the supremacy clause or the supremacy clause and with religious tests. But We'll get to that in a minute. And that's the section here that says that under the authority of the United States shall be the supreme law of the land and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby and anything in the constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding. And so this supremacy clause, you know, it, it's one of the areas where we're getting most straightforwardly at the idea of federalism, right? What happens, which this is something that you, know, you always think about in terms of federalism. You know, what happens when the states and the federal government decide to regulate the same thing? Now, historically, that kind of seems relatively straightforward, right? So if a state uh, legislature stands as an obstacle, then it must fall before a federal statute uh, and then the federal statute preempts that state involvement. But the problem is that a lot of federal laws aren't specifying whether or not they're intended to preclude state action or allowed for what's called concurrent jurisdiction, right? So if you're a if you're a listener, what that means is there are some areas where both the federal government and the state government can both have jurisdiction over you, right? So for the fact that the federal government is taxing you uh, doesn't preclude states from also having taxes upon you. So that's a kind of concurrent jurisdiction. Now, the courts have actually dealt with this a lot. I'm, I'm curious to learn from you on some of this, Ken. I've got a, a pretty good knowledge of some of this, but I, I'm sure this is one of the areas that you go through in your classes, right? You know, the court, the Supreme Court has been really specific when it comes to matters like foreign policy. It's been pretty straightforward, you know, going back to the state of Missouri versus Holland in 1920, uh, where the Supreme Court comes down pretty heavily. Look, if it's a foreign policy issue, of course, the federal government is preempting uh, uh, state governments. And, and that even comes forward uh, uh, further with uh, under the, the Rehnquist Court. But where things get a little bit fuzzier uh, is when you start dealing with domestic issues, right? So, so where does that come in cases uh, of domestic issues? I know one of the first cases to deal with that, uh, Ken, is Pennsylvania v. Nelson, uh, you know, in the late 19, uh, 1956, um, uh, under the Warren court, trying to kind of figure out where that is. But how does that work in terms of the domestic side? You know, I, I'm going to answer your question, but I actually want to start with something you said a little earlier. Oh, please. Um, so, so, and I'm glad you mentioned Missouri versus Holland because I wanted to talk about that too, but in a slightly different uh, way. So, when we were just, um, when you just read the language of the supremacy clause, you 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 actually skipped over the the first half of it, 
which names, you know, what kinds of federal laws are the supreme law of the land. Constitution and, and treaties. That's true. I did. Had good point. Treaties, right? I missed yeah. them. My bad. My bad. Yeah. And, and I think that's highly relevant to the uh, both the discussion we just had about the, the status of the Articles of Confederation, but also to the Missouri versus um, Holland case that you just mentioned, which I'll talk about. So there's there's three things that are identified here as being the supreme law of the land. They're all federal sources, but the Constitution itself is the supreme law of the land. The the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, um, are are the supreme law of the land. And 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 what that means is statutes that are constitutional um, are, are the supreme law of the land. So so federal statutes that are unconstitutional aren't part of the supreme law of the land, but, but federal statutes that are constitutional are. Um, and then the last one is treaties. But see, the treaties don't have to be made in pursuance of the Constitution. Yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> unlike, un, unlike the statutes, the, the treaties just have to be made under the authority of the United States. And, and that, um, uh, I think, was intended for reasons that we were just talking about to to say that even the treaties that were previously made um, under the Articles of Confederation, you know, which weren't made under this Constitution, um, they stay in effect. Uh, whereas the laws that were previously made by the Continental Congress, um, they don't stay in effect. Those laws are going to have to be remade pursuant to this Constitution. But the treaties, which we've get ratified with other countries, they, they do stay in effect. And and that actually did cause some controversies, both right in the framers' own time very soon after the Constitution was ratified, um, and also uh, up to the 20th century and, and the Missouri versus Holland case. Um, the, the question of what does it mean that the treaties um, are, are valid and they're supreme if they were made under the authority of the United States? Um, uh, you know, so I think the first of these controversies was the issue with the Jay Treaty and, and George Washington. And you probably know a little bit about this, Trey, or maybe, I'm not sure if you teach it or not. But um, so, you know, the, France gave us a fair amount of aid in fighting the Revolutionary War, uh, General Marquis de Lafayette came over here, and and um, uh, you know they still have the park right across the White House named after him, and uh, um, and because of the help that France gave us. But when when we signed uh, the peace treaties with England, there were two. There was the Treaty of Paris, and there was the Jay Treaty, uh, ending the Revolutionary War. You know, one of the things that we agreed to, which is what everybody always has to agree to to sign a peace treaty at the end of a war, is that the war is over and we're not fighting you anymore and, and right. we won't keep fighting you. No more shooting. Um, it's the no basic. No more shooting. Yeah. yeah. So so we, we said that in the Jay Treaty, we'd stop fighting England because the war is over. Um, now, that Jay Treaty was ratified. Uh, during the era when our government was operating under the Articles of Confederation, and it was never um, uh, ratified under the the procedure that's in this Constitution. Um, so when George Washington is president, and uh, um, uh, his friend Napoleon gives him a call and says, uh, "I guess they didn't have a phone back then. Just <laughs> send a boatman." <laughs> but Napoleon says, "You know, George, you remember I sent over the Marquis de Lafayette. We we gave you all that help uh, against England. You know, we still both, you know, even though I, you you did a peace treaty with England and all that, but we still both really hate England. And and you owe us a favor. And you know, how about you give us some military aid? Because I'm continuing to fight against England all over Europe. Um, and uh, um, George Washington says, "Well." I don't know if that would be legal or not. Um, I would like to do everything I can to give military aid to France, 
up up to the point that I'm not going to violate any U.S. treaty obligations. If, if, if the U.S. made treaty obligations to maintain peace in certain ways, I'm not going to violate that. If there's ways that I that it wouldn't be illegal for me to violate that, then, 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 I, then I will um, give you the aid that I can. And so he actually wrote to the Supreme Court. Um, George Washington wrote to the Supreme Court and asked, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to understand the, the validity and the interpretation of the Jay Treaty, because the the Jay Treaty, you know, we, we it was a U.S. treaty. It was made before we had a constitution. I don't know if it's still valid. I don't know what it means. I, I really don't know how how bound I am by it. And I my objective here is not to violate any um, any legal instruments that the U.S. is bound to honor. Um, but to the extent that we're not bound by it, or that it allows me to to give some military aid, I'd like to do that. And uh, the the Supreme Court kind of famously wouldn't answer his question, and they said uh, we. We don't give any advisory opinions. We really can't uh, answer that question. We only have constitutional authority to decide cases or controversies. Um, they did say, and I think we talked about this when we did the Article Two powers. Uh, you know, luckily for you, George, one of your only enumerated powers as president is to demand that your cabinet secretaries give you written answers to your questions. So why don't you why don't you ask the attorney general? He'll probably tell you. So so and the attorney. <laughs> I'm sorry to have to say it, but that ends the preview of this supporters exclusive episode with Ken and myself taking a look at Article 5 of the Constitution. As you can hear, we've been going through the Constitution one article, one section at a time, and we've got some more ground to cover, and we'd love for you to finish this conversation with the two of us. But to do that, you're going to have to become a supporter of the politics guys, and I, I hope you'll consider it. So just head to Patreon patreon.com slash politics guys again that's patreon.com slash politics guys right there you're going to find the way to become a supporter you're going to have to be a supporter at that five dollar level or higher to be getting the supporters midweek show so again head to patreon.com slash politics guys and you can hear the rest of the show with ken and myself as we go through the constitution and article five now it's not just this show that you get by becoming a politics guy supporter you get access potentially to all kinds of really cool things like like our active politics guys discord group that I post to regularly. I'd love to have a conversation with you. Mike would love to have a conversation with you. There's all different kinds of gear and other benefits you have by becoming a member of the show. So again, if you head to patreon.com slash politics guys, you can find each of the supporter exclusive benefits right there waiting for you. Now, if you'd like to support the show in a different way, no worries. We've got you covered. You can support the show on Venmo where we're at Politics Guys. You can also do it through PayPal. All of those support links are, you better guessed it, right there in the show notes. So just head down there, scroll down there on your phone and click on the one of your choice. Or if you want to see everything, you can head to politicsguys.com slash support. Now, if you're just not in a financial position to get this show and, and this is something you'd really like to have, man, I get that. I've, I've got kiddos. I know what that's like. Please just shoot us some email at mail at politicsguys.com and we can get you set up. So whether you're a supporter or not, don't forget you can always rate this show. We would really love you for you to do that. But even again, more so than anything else, I'd love to have you join myself and Ken getting all those back episodes. We've been going
going through the Constitution and all these upcoming episodes where we're going to be talking about the Constitution. I want you to be a part of that. So head to Patreon.com slash politics, guys, and you're going to get all of that. Now, if you've got any kind of questions or comments or anything else you'd like to share, don't forget you can shoot that off to mail at politicsguys.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You're going to find all of those links in the show notes. The executive producer of the Politics Guys are incredible, and they are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Marino, Andra Masker, Daniel Toe, Ryan Beasley, and Don Oglesby. We'll be back with a full episode this weekend. I hope you'll join me and Ken then.